Our scripture lesson today is taken from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. And Abner sent messengers to David at Hebron, saying, To whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me, and I will give you my support to bring all Israel over to you. David said, Good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, you shall never appear in my presence unless you bring Saul's daughter, Michal, when you come to see me. Then David sent messengers to Saul's son, Ishbael, saying, Give me my wife, Michal, to whom I became engaged at the price of 104 skins of the Philistines. Ishbael sent and took her from her husband, Paltiel, the son of Laish. But her husband went with her, weeping as he walked behind her, all the way to Behurim. Then Abner said to him, Go back home. So he went back. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O oh, teach me, Lord, that I may teach the precious things thou dost impart, and wing my words that they may reach the hidden depths of many a heart. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So with Patrick's lengthy and, mater- and mysterious sermon title last week, Veja do and the evil of two lessers. I thought you might appreciate something short and simple this week. Paltiel. Feel better? Paltiel is probably the most obscure of the eight biblical characters on whom I am preaching this summer. As I have circulated the titles in this series among staff and members, no one has come up to me and said, gee, I am so glad you're preaching on Paltiel. (laughs) Paltiel's story is as short and simple as his renown. He appears only once in the entire Bible. He is identified as the son of Laish, who appears in Scripture only to be specified as Paltiel's father. Paltiel is from Galim, a village north of Jerusalem, which is mentioned at only one other place in Scripture. In the lengthy struggle on the part of King Saul to prevent David from succeeding him as king sooner rather than later, Saul had presented his daughter, Michal, to David in marriage. But Saul's sense of threat from David grew, and his rage increased, to the point that Michal once had to help David secretly escape from Saul's efforts to kill him. 
Saul had then annulled McCall's marriage to David and then for some unspecified reason had given McCall to Paltiel in another arranged marriage. Now we do not know how many years Paltiel and McCall lived together, nor do we know how McCall came to feel about Paltiel. It is apparent, though, as we shall see, that Paltiel grew to love deeply this woman to whom he had been assigned in marriage on orders from her father, the king. In time, Saul died in battle, defeated by the forces of David. Abner, the late king's chief military officer, saw the tides of history turning toward David, switched allegiances, and asked David if he would become king of both Israel and Judah, the entire United Kingdom. David had only one condition. Bring Michal back as my wife. David likely surmised that if he were reunited with Michal, the subjects and citizens of the land who had lingering loyalty to the house of Saul would be more apt to be pacified and accepting of David's leadership if Saul's daughter Michal were their queen. Since the power of the state, particularly under military rule, is almost unlimited, David's newly minted military aide, Abner, took Michal from her husband, Paltiel, and brought her to the court of David. At this point, the brilliant narrator of First and Second Samuel describes the human side of what happened in the midst of all this political turmoil. But Michal's husband, Paltiel, went with her, weeping as he walked behind her all the way to Behurim. Then Abner said to Paltiel, Go back home. So he went back. Now within the next few scenes, Abner is assassinated. McCall is given quarters in the palace that she never appears to share with David and in which David later curses her to barrenness. And Paltiel walks off the pages of Scripture, never to be heard from again. Thus, in the midst of court intrigue, divisiveness within the kingdom, violence both familial and national, the narrator of these books pauses to depict the poignant weeping of this one obscure individual Paltiel. Why does the narrator do this? Why is Paltiel's simple story recounted in Scripture? 
Why are the sounds of an ordinary man wailing uncontrollably over the loss of his wife included in this portion of the Bible about kings and empires? What does the narrator intend us to learn from placing the microphone to the lips of Paltiel that our ears might hear his mournful sobbing? Now, as rabbinical scholars have studied Paltiel over the centuries, they have tended to focus less on the richness of his love for Michal as opposed to the restraining of its expression. You see, once David becomes king, it's not entirely proper that he would be married to a woman who had been married to another man, even though he had been married to her before. Scholars notice that Paltiel's name means... God has saved me from sin. They began to surmise that the marriage between Paltiel and Michal was never consummated, thus rendering David's action in remarrying her less inappropriate and possibly saving him from some scorn in the eyes of the public. In fact, they even speculated that Paltiel had placed a sword in the marriage bed between himself and McCall so that they would remain chaste. One ancient source concludes of Paltiel's weeping. He followed her to the town called Behurim, which literally means youths implying that they both had remained like unmarried youths and not tasted the pleasure of marital relations. But in the 1990s, a British rabbi named Jonathan Maginot began to focus on a simpler and more likely reason for Paltiel's tears, namely that he loved McCall. In this interpretation, Paltiel was an ordinary man who loved his wife and wept openly even in front of soldiers and politicians as she was led away from him against his will and against any power he had to intercede. Maginet goes on to describe this scene as one of those remarkable moments in Scripture in which through the power of the text itself, we as readers or hearers are forced to confront the dark side of a heroic character like David, to ask what really matters, and to ask what price might be too high to pay for some things. Paltiel loses his wife, Maginet adds, But for one brief moment, he helps turn our perception of the world upside down. One of the best-known novels of the late Gabriel Garcia Marquez is entitled Love in a Time of Cholera. It is a title that could describe Paltiel. In a time of the cholera of corruption, Paltiel loves McCall. In a time of the cholera of violence, Paltiel weeps over her loss. In a time of raw political power exercised without concern for the impact it has on the people it affects, Paltiel weeps openly 
for the person he loves. In front of the military commander who has removed her from his home, in front of soldiers who surround that commander and take their orders and draw their livelihood from his employ, in front of citizens who live under that commander's often iron sway, in front of political leaders who rule the day, Paltiel expresses his unbridled love through tears without regard to the cost of such expression, without regard to who might be witnessing his personal agony. Thus, in a story filled with characters who exemplify the fall of the human race more evidently than they exemplify our creation in God's image, Paltiel embodies the absolute best of what God creates within us, the capacity for unbridled love, one human being of another. Her husband went with her, weeping as he walked behind her all the way to Behurim. To love like that, to be loved like that, love even in a time of cholera. This past week, through intense media coverage in our nation and around the world, we've seen and heard the cries of children stopped at the border between our country and Mexico and separated from their parents who have been trying to enter, most, if not all, illegally. The cries and pressure to end such separation has arisen, I believe, out of a deep-seated human belief that no state, no external force should ever separate a parent from a child except in those unfortunate circumstances in which a child must be protected from its parents. Just as Rachel's weeping for her children in the book of Genesis reverberates throughout history to the time of Christ, Just as Paltiel's cries were heard by soldiers and citizens in his day and are remembered in Scripture for our day, the cries of children separated from their parents at the border are being rightly heard in our day. In this wonderful sanctuary in which we worship, in this community of privilege that surrounds it, few though some of us have been threatened by the force of the state standing between us and the person we love. Though no Abner has likely pointed his bayonet at us and said, go back home, there are barriers and threats we face that arise between us and the person we most dearly love. Some of the barriers that we face are unavoidable. Demands of work that will not let us go. Confidentiality that prevents us from sharing with our spouses or children 
information about clients or patients or natural national security planning in which we are involved and which weighs heavily on our minds and keeps us awake at night. Responsibility for children and aging parents and suffering siblings and welcome but needful grandchildren, ill or dying neighbors that one or both of us has taken on. Some barriers that arise between us and the person we love are rooted in the tragic dimension of nature, the seemingly intractable consequences of the fall, illness, mental or physical, premature loss of body or mind, infertility, addiction, aging, death, the effects of abuse, past or present, whose trauma it leaves behind like waves of the sea that are never stilled, even by the command of Christ. But among the many aspects of good news in the Old and New Testaments, in Judaism and Christianity, and doubtless in other world religions as well, is this, the most important and significant aspect of creation is love, especially the love of one person for another. The love of Paltiel for McCall. The love of a parent for a child, a child for a parent. The love each of us has or has received from the most important person in our lives. The love for which each of us prays. Indeed, Scripture narrates 16 chapters of unvarnished success on the part of King David, leading the people of God to unity and prosperity, and then followed by 16 chapters of his kingdom falling into disarray and dysfunction and violence, largely of his own making. The narrator of Scripture depicts David as the boy shepherd, as the slayer of Goliath, as the sweet singer of Israel, as the greatest king in Israel's history, and as the ancestor of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But the narrator also depicts what David did to Bathsheba and her husband Uriah and the deep and violent scars that that left in his own family and in his own country. But in the midst of this cholera-laden story of David's rise and self-inflicted fall, the narrator inserts one little scene for our memory. McCall's husband went with her, weeping as he walked behind her all the way to Behurim. When I told this story to someone outside the church this week, the person quoted to me as saying that has become popular in recent years, grief is love that has no place to go. There is truth behind this saying. But the more I thought about it throughout the week, the more I've concluded that at least in Paltiel's case, his grieving love 
does have a place to go. His love of McCall rises from the pages of Scripture, crosses cultures and eras and time zones. When we hear the cries of this ordinary man unashamedly weeping for the woman he loves, we are reminded that the most important thing in the world is the love of one human being for another. Amen.